The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We're in this series, this little mini-series for two weeks called Who's Your One? Um, and although I missed last week, I listened to the message online, and man, that was a good stuff, huh, that Josh, that Josh preached, just the value of one, that God values one, that one person is worth finding. One person is worth celebrating, and I hope you enjoyed your conversations in the connection group, those of you who are going through the, the guides. That's good stuff. And today I kind of want to continue in that thought of though we're, we're encouraging each other to find one person that God, can, uh, that God can use us to reach, one person that we might be able to maybe uh, just have an impact in their life. And my question would be, what happens if God does what we're asking him to do? What happens when God gives us our one? What happens if, you know, we got some big plans this year, right, church? Like, we, gotta, we, gotta, we wanna give the gospel to more people than we ever have in a single year this year. I mean, that's, that's we're, we're shooting high. And what if God actually answers our prayers? What if God gives us and he just opens the hearts of people and we just get a flood of new believers? Are we ready to handle that? Do we have the maturity to uh, disciple those new believers? Or is it just kind of like, okay, get your one, get them in church, and pastors will take care of the rest? I hope, I hope that, that's not going to work. Let me just tell you that much. That, that's not a good plan. Um, but really that, when we talk about this idea of, man, who's your one, we're really saying, man, who, not just who can you get in church, who can you invite to Grand Opening Sunday next week, but who can you pour your life into? Who does God want to use you to really invest in, to make some sacrifices um, to, to pour yourself into. And so we're going to talk about that idea today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. If you have a phone, I'd encourage you guys, you can use the screens, but uh, I think there's a value in just having it in your hands. Maybe I'm old school and just looking at it yourself. So Hebrews chapter 5. And my hope for today, church, is that uh, God would really break us in a way, that we would, we would be broken today. But not broken in just a, a sad sense so we'd be sorrowful, and, um, but broken in the best sense that God would give us a breakthrough to see differently, to see rightly, to see truthfully. That he would open our eyes. I don't know about you, but that's a regular prayer for me, that God, would you just open my eyes so I can understand you more, so I can know you more? To be broken in realizing how desperately we need God's Spirit to work in our lives, in our church, in our families. And that we have a long way to go, that we have been given an upward call that is extremely high. To be like Jesus? What are we, who are we kidding? Like that's really, we think we're going to be like Jesus? But do you hear, that is where the Spirit is taking us, church. That is our trajectory, that is our end goal, to become like Jesus. And then not to just be broken today, but then to be filled and to be driven by faith and hope that man, what God started in us, He's going to see it through. Amen? That he's going to take us there. That he's going to do this. That he's given us a dream. He's given us a vision. And it's not us that's going to take it now and go work and go make something happen. But it is his spirit that will do that. And so can we stand together? Let's go ahead and read Hebrews 5. I'm going to start in verse 11. And, uh, and we'll go through verse 3. Man, if you are a guest today, uh, we just want to let you know, man, we're so excited that you're here uh, it, it thrills our heart anytime new people come we just want to welcome you and on your way in you should have received what we call our service program um, and in there there's an outline you can use to follow along with the message I'm preaching 
um, today. And in the left-hand portion of that is uh, what we call our connection card. Uh, and we would just love, honestly, for you to fill that out. Uh, that just allows us to get to know you, make a connection with you. And then if you want to turn that out after this, turn that in after the service uh, to the welcome tent between the, those double doors, we have a gift for you. Just want to say thanks for coming and hopefully get to know you a little bit. So hope you'll take advantage of that. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to go into chapter 6 a little bit. The author of Hebrews is writing and he says this, concerning this, we have much to say now, concerning what? We're going to talk about that. It's kind of a weird place to start reading scripture because it's dependent on what he said before. Concerning this, we have much to say that is hard to explain since you have become hard of hearing. For though by now you should be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk rather than solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? A baby. But solid food belongs to those who are mature, for those who through practice have powers of discernment that are trained to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, all that stuff. All that stuff is what... Now, you need to know that this book, Hebrews, is called that because the author is writing to the Jews. That's his audience. And every good Jew growing up, no matter how far you went in religious studies you would have learned these things. Instruction about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, all of that stuff. Those were the basics that every uh, good Jew would learn growing up as a child. This we will do if God permits. And so I want to preach a message this morning, church, called The Necessity of Maturity. The Necessity of Maturity. Can we pray together? Oh, man, Father... Thank you that you are here. And God, we need you to be here. I pray, uh, Lord, I don't want to just come and play church. I don't just want to go through the motions, which can be so easy sometimes, Lord. It can be so comfortable to just kind of get into a routine and, and do it again and again. But Father, I'm just praying that by your mercy, you would pour out your spirit on us today that you would light a fire, that you would give us a passion, that you would stir us to see you. Lord, I, I don't have a lot of confidence that what I say will accomplish anything good, that what I say will even be coherent and understandable. And so, Father, would you, in your grace, as supernaturally by your Spirit, make this message, make your word make sense to us this morning. Give us the understanding of the text. Give us the sense of it. And Lord, would you apply it to our lives? We need you. Would you open our hearts, open our minds, ready us for what you have in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So there are, um, there are three words that can get on my nerves a lot. Uh, you can add a fourth one in there. Uh, but these words are not words of hope and encouragement. We all need love and correction. We all need someone to come alongside our lives and say, hey, you're off a little bit here. You need to work on this. Whatever. We all need that. Amen? But these words don't say that. These words say, you failed. You missed something. There's no going back. It's too late. You are inadequate. And those words are, and I tell them to myself all the time. I really do. But it's even more frustrating when you tell them to yourself and then someone comes along and tells them to you. So those words are, you should have. You should have. 
or you can throw the fourth one there, you should not have. And you, I mean, we all have situations like this, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this in groups this week, and so think of a story where maybe someone has said that to you or you've said that to yourself. You should have. You missed something. You need to go backwards. You need to start back here because you failed somewhere along the lines. And uh, two years ago, uh, my friend Caleb, he lives in Florida now, uh, he came to town for a few days and, and we were going to hang out and so uh, we went and did a lot of hiking and stuff. Well, one day we took a day and went to Yosemite um, and I, I hope you guys have been to Yosemite. It's legit. That's me and Caleb right there back in my short hair days. And uh, this is at the top of Upper Yosemite Falls. Man, that hike is amazing. That is a lot longer than I thought, especially coming down. We were exhausted. And so I don't know how many miles we hiked that day. It was crazy. I think there's one more picture, guys, if you can show that. That's that's the top of it right there. It's pretty epic, um, especially in April, man. The falls are just roaring. Oh, it's glorious. It is glorious. And uh, during the middle of the day, I wanted to take Caleb and show, and show him something. Uh, you don't really have to hike to this spot, but when you just go and you see Yosemite Falls, upper and lower, right? It's not even much of a hike. It's more like a walk, right? And so usually I'll start on the east end and then we'll walk the trail, you go to the bridge, there's all the people gathered taking pictures, you look up at the falls and it's just like, wow, it's amazing, you got the, 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 the upper one falling into the lower one and it's just incredible, right? And then when you keep going along the trail back to the parking lot towards the west end, if you look off to the side, it's not, there's nothing special seemingly, but I'd been there with my family before and I knew that there was kind of like this really cool cave structure thing, right? And so I wanted to show Caleb that. I was like, dude, you got to check this out. And it's not really a cave in the definition of a cave, but the rocks have kind of come together in this cool way. So it's kind of like this spot uh, that looks like a cave and feels like a cave. So I was like, let's go check it out. So we go back there, and I show them, and it's cool, and it's awesome. And while we're in there, we hear some people outside the cave that we assume, okay, hey, they're coming up. They must have found this spot too, and they're coming up to check it out. And so me and Caleb, being the bright minds that we are, come up with this great idea that, hey, we're in here. Let's scare them. Let's scare these people, right? They're coming up. We can, we can hear them talking and saying stuff, and they already sound like, whoa, this is kind of creepy back here, kind of dark, kind of scary. And so, you know, we're not going to pop out and scare them. We're going to act dead, because that's a great idea. We're going to act like we've been trapped in there, right? And so I don't know if I smeared dirt on my face or what, and then I like sprawled out on this rock. I was going to make it convincing. I was going to make it good. But what happened is that position got very uncomfortable after a while, because the people never came up. So we're just, we're just in this cave waiting for them to come up. And they're just talking. They're just hanging out there. We're like, what's going on? And so eventually, we're determined to scare these people. So we start like trying to get their attention, making noises, right? Um, throwing like little rocks. And honestly, these people start getting annoyed. They're like, hey, who's up there? What are you doing? Stop. It's not funny. You know, they're kind of scared, all that stuff. But of course, we persisted because we're bright and loving and caring about people. But eventually what happens is because they never come up, I start to realize, I'm like, wait a minute, where, where are they? They're not outside the cave anymore. It's like their voices were coming from like inside the rocks next to us. And we're like, what in the world, right? So we go out, and sure enough, nobody's there. But we hear these voices. We hear these people, and we're like, what in the blazes is going on? This is some kind of crazy voodoo. They're inside the rocks. And so we're looking around. Maybe we should have just left it at that and left, but we didn't. And so we're kind of looking around, and eventually, I don't know if it's me or Kay, we find this spot in the rocks where there's another opening. And, and this is like an actual cave, come to find out later. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're like in there. 
And as we've been hearing them talking, we get the sense that, okay, they've got some guide that's with them, and the guide is walking this group of people through this cave, and he's, but here's the catch, they're doing it with no light. He's making them find their way around by feeling and everything with no light. And so earlier when we're trying to figure out what's going on and turning our flashlights on, they're like, where's that light coming from? Who's doing that? Who's cheating? And we're like, what's going on? What are they talking about? And so what's the logical thing to do? You go in after them, right? We're trying to scare these people, whatever. I don't think we were trying to scare them at this point. It was just the adrenaline was running. It's the adventure. We're like, man, we got to find out what did they find, right? I had no clue this was here. So we go in there, and this is pitch black. It's like, you can't, we can't, me and Caleb can't see each other. There's this one opening we get in, and we're feeling around. We're like, where? Where did they go? Where did they go? It's this wall everywhere. And I find this one little opening in the dark. I'm like, I guess we crawl through here, right? This is great. This is going great. And so we crawl through this little space, and now we're in the same room as them because we can hear their voices. It's like, right, we're there, and we're like, this is crazy. This is epic. Like, we're in a dark cave. Literally can't see my hand in front of my face. Like, pitch black, right? And then we get to this point where the guide and they kind of start talking, and they're like giving this, I, this sense that, okay, it's time to turn on the lights. We reached the end of the cave. It's time to turn on the lights. And uh, that was not good news for me and Caleb because uh, we, we didn't make friends with these people earlier, and I'm not trying to like have them find us, following them in there, like who are these two creeps that came in after us? And so we're kind of making noise too, so they're like, who knows what's going on? Those guys, whoever was up there earlier is probably messing around. And so when they say, okay, now it's time to turn on the lights, I look at Kay, I tell Kay, I'm like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Hurry up. So we got to try to find our way. So what ends up happening is I'm hiding behind a rock in the dark of cave, and Caleb tried to like, like hide as well, right? And they turn on the lights, and it's, it wasn't good. And you come to that moment where you're in a dark cave, hiding under a rock, hoping that light doesn't come on. You have to ask yourself a question. Why am I here? How did I get here? And you have to be honest with yourself and maybe say, man, I should have along the way here somewhere. I should have stopped sooner. should have stopped while I had. I should not have come in this dark cave. I failed somewhere along. I, I missed something. And when we come to our passage today in Hebrews, the author just kind of hits pause for a minute. He's telling these Hebrews, he's telling these Jews about the glories and the riches of Christ and the majesty of Christ, that Jesus is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than the old system of doing things, Jews, all your sacrifices, your temple, all that stuff. Jesus is better. And he comes to this point where he says, hey, Jesus isn't like, you know, a priest after the order of Aaron, the sinful priest, right, that you guys have been following all these years. He's a priest after the order of this other dude named Melchizedek, which is like, who the heck is that, Right? And then he says, you know what, just wait. Concerning this, concerning Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, I would love to tell you about all this means for your, your, your walk in faith and the glories and the riches of Christ, but I can't because there's a problem. Because you should have, Hebrews. You failed. You missed something. And what does he say in verse 11? Concerning this, we have much to say that is hard to explain since you have become hard of hearing. He's not, he's not saying, oh, this, this, this information is just too heady. It's too complicated for you to understand. Your brain can't handle it. No, he's saying, I would give you this, but there's a problem. And it's not your brain. It's your ears. That your ears have become hard of hearing. And now you're not getting it. You're not getting it anymore. 
That word hard of hearing is also translated dull of hearing. It's this idea of slow, of being sluggish to hear. Is it because these Jews, these Hebrews aren't smart? Trust me, they were probably all a lot smarter than us, how much they studied. But he says, no, something's happened along the way. Where your ears have just stopped hearing. And that leads us to our first observation today, that we don't hear right. When we talk about this idea of maturity and the necessity to grow up into what the Spirit is doing, to grow up into what Christ has called us to, that what keeps us from maturing is when we stop hearing right. And don't get me wrong, we come and we hear. They're, they're probably reading this letter. They're hearing what is said, but they're not getting it. It's not sinking in. They're not understanding what they are hearing because they either don't care the, the, the content is uninteresting. They don't believe it. And church, all of these things are true of us today. We're not exempt from this. This isn't just some Hebrews 2,000 years ago. We fall into the same traps. How many times do I fail to believe what I claim to know, what I claim to believe? How many times, I mean, be honest with yourself. When you're reading the Bible, some of you don't even read your Bible because you're just like, I don't understand it. Like, Who's Melchizedek? Why do I care who Melchizedek is, author of Hebrews? Why are you telling me about this? And what happens is we start to get in this, this mode where, okay, I've heard this a thousand times, or like, this is not what I want to hear, right? We have an agenda of what we think we need to hear. This is what I need to hear. I need a little devotional nugget that I can read in the morning that's going to give me like the, the strength and the, 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 the good feelings to go about my day. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. That's what I need, right? And so we're like, okay, our ears are open. And then we start talking about something like Melchizedek. We start talking about something else that God wants to show us about himself, that God wants to build in our lives. And our ears are kind of just like, what? I don't understand. I don't get it. This isn't what I want to hear. Why is this important? And we become hard of hearing and we don't hear right. Paul says something similar to his audience in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, he says, Brothers, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men. And we all should be spiritual. Not in this like, you know, I don't know, weird sense that we think of spiritual, but spiritual in the sense that we're seeking the things of God. He says, I couldn't speak to you like that, but as to worldly. Even as to what? There's that word again. Babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with solid food. For this day you were not able to endure it, nor are you able now, for you are still worldly. So what is the author of Hebrews talking about? What is Paul talking about? We just need more complex information. You just need to go learn more Bible trivia. You know, you just need to figure out how many times the word whatever appears in this passage. You need to go to Revelation and figure out all these views of what is the beast and what is the number. And No, no, he says, man, we're not even going to get into that today, class. Because y'all are sucking on bottles. We can't do algebra here. We can't talk about that stuff. So the problem is not the information that we need to receive. It's the heart that receives it. It's the ears that hear it. And a lot of times when we hear, we just, we take it and we put it and we make it what we want it to be. We can take something that is said from the pulpit. We can take something we read in scripture and we say, this is what that means. But because of our agenda, because of what we want to hear, we twist it and we corrupt it. And what happens is, now we don't just not hear right, we can't teach right. We can't teach right because what we are now giving 
if we're teaching at all. Some of you are like, teach? What are you talking about? That's your job. That's, that's the pastor's job. And yeah, maybe not all of us are called to stand on a stage and like, you know, give a talk in front of a bunch of people, but we're all called to be teachers. What does he say? What does he say? I, you, you become hard of hearing, for by now, at this time, right? What, verse 12, for, below, but, for though by now you should be teachers. Fresno Church, y'all should be teachers. Y'all should be teachers. And I think of the Great Commission, right? We all know this passage, Matthew 28. What does it say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, we know that. What is the second part? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. When we talk about this thing of discipleship, which I hope you realize we talk about it quite a lot, it's kind of a big focus of our church that we want to disciple, we want to make disciples, we want to disciple people. Well, inherent in, I don't honestly know what that word means, so maybe it doesn't apply, but when we talk within the Great Commission, within making disciples, what's involved in that is teaching. And some of you, some of you are like, nah, I ain't ready for that. I'm not mature enough. I, I'm not confident to teach someone. Why not? And that, that, that's a fair statement. But then the next question is, well, what are you doing to become confident? What are you doing so that you can teach someone else? Because that's what the Spirit of God's trying to do in you. That's what he's called us to. Have you not heard? Have you not read? That's what we are called to. We're not called to just come and sit in a chair and listen to someone or, what is that, orate about something, right? Someone just feeds you? No, but that you would start feeding yourself, that you would, you would take that milk and it would strengthen you and then you'd start, you'd start working up an appetite and start working up a hunger, right? The author of Hebrews is like, hey, I want to give you some juicy steaks. I want to give you some really, some protein that's going to help you grow. But your body, you can't, you can't give steak to a baby. You don't even have teeth to chew it, right? So we don't hear right. And when we don't hear right, we don't teach right. Because what happens is when we hear, we hear something that, we hear something that's, that's different because our flesh corrupts it because oh that's not what I want to hear or I want to hear this over there or whatever's being said is man I don't even I don't really care this doesn't make sense why does this have anything to do with my life because because we're not really interested in what God wants to say a lot of times we'll tell ourselves we are but we're interested in like no this is what I need to hear pastors say this and when we don't hear right we can't teach right or we don't teach at all but this is not what we are called to church we're called to so much more. And so what does the author of Hebrews say? Let's go on to maturity. Let's leave behind the basics, okay? The things that we have learned, right? He says, look, you need to go back and some of you need to go back and relearn that, right? This is not, this is not, this is not a fun passage that he's, that he's saying here, that is written. This is not to make you feel good in a sense. He's talking about all this stuff and he's going to go on and talk about it, but he just hits pause and he just says, wait, are you hearing anything I'm saying? Do you care, Hebrews? Do you care about the glory and the riches of Christ? Do you believe this? 
because some of you need to go back and you need to just relearn the basics of the gospel because a lot of you, you've just got tired of hearing it, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus loves you. It just means nothing now. We don't hear right, we don't teach right, but what are we called to, church? Last, we are called to maturity. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are mature. For those who through practice have powers of discernment that are trained to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to maturity. And so let's talk about this, church, for the next couple minutes. What, is, what does it mean to be mature? We can talk about it. We all know, right? Yeah, we're supposed to be growing in Christ. You know, that's what we all say. Why, why are you go to church? Well, I want to I know God. I want to grow in Christ. Yeah, that's good. That's right. That's why we're here. So, so what does that look like? What does it look like to mature? And, 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 and I think we all know and understand that none of us have reached some, some level of like where we are now mature, right? If you're there, you're in danger. Like that, that's, 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 you really need to get out of that place because none of us are mature in the full sense. We're, we're all looking like Jesus and none of us are there, let me tell you. And we all understand that. So, okay, so what is the difference now? There is a difference between those who are, what I'll say, floundering in immaturity, who have stagnated in their walk, who have leveled off, who have plateaued, and they're not really going anywhere in their faith. They're kind of just regurgitating the same old stuff that they've heard from the beginning, and it hasn't transformed their lives, and they're not growing in grace. They're not growing in sanctification. There's a difference between those people and those who are in the process of maturing, those who are walking towards maturity. And what does that take? What does that look like? It looks like this, for those who through practice have powers of discernment that are trained to distinguish good from evil. And that sounds simple enough, doesn't it? I mean, we all know the difference between good and evil, right? That's bad, that's good. Is it that easy really though? I mean, I can look back in times in my life where, man, I thought I was on the right path, where I thought I was pursuing God with everything, where I thought I was, you know, Mr. Holy, doing his thing, and then I look back and I'm like, wow, I was so full of fear and insecurity and pride and selfishness. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to be, you know, something. I just wanted to give myself a good performance so I could feel good about myself. Like, I don't know about you. This is, this is church to me, like that kind of stuff, like finding out that stuff, like, like working through those things of like, wow, my heart is really evil. My heart is really wicked. And the longer you're with Jesus, let me be careful how I say that. The longer you're with Jesus, the more you come to understand how evil you are. So if you're walking with Jesus and you feel like, man, I just understand every day that, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm better than I thought I was. I don't know what Jesus you're walking with. And he doesn't leave us there. It's not about just looking at ourselves and how bad we are. But that it's really not as easy as some of us think. To distinguish good from evil. And the difference between the, what, what, what divides the line between those who are floundering in immaturity and those who are in the maturing process is what they see and how they see. Because those who are kind of settled in their walk and have figured things out enough and are good enough and are just kind of along for the ride now, they just see on the surface. Okay, looks good? Go for it. I'm going to do it. No, it looks bad? Stay away. That's it. But those who are walk, growing in maturity, they say, no, wait, wait, is that really good? What's under that? What's involved in that? Is that really bad? 
What, what goes into that? What makes that bad? And they, they see differently. And so what I want to do, if it's helpful at all, is kind of look at, okay, what are some marks of those who are maturing? What are some marks of, of, of people who are learning to distinguish good from evil? How does, that, how does that express itself? Because we'll read a statement like that, and it's so simple to us, and we're like, yeah, I get it, distinguish good from evil. But that is a daily experience that we all have to do. It's not just something that, you know, one and done, okay, I figured out what's good and bad. And there's people like that, man, where they figured it out. And, and they're not, they stopped growing is what happened. And there's this, man, I think it's important to bring this up. I hear this a lot, that people say this in situations, or even in myself, I'll say it to myself. Are y'all still with me? Okay, I suck with like stories and illustrations and stuff. I really try hard to come up with something, and I just can't, so my way of getting your attention is just to stop and say, hey, you with me? All right. It's probably lazy. Pray for me. I need to grow. But a lot of us will say this to ourselves, right? When, when some negative thing shows itself in our life, right? Or maybe something that's not respectable and good, you know, maybe not the best. We'll say stuff like this. Oh, that's just the way I am. Oh, that's just part of my personality. That's just the way it is. Yeah, that's just the way God made me, whatever, right? And that is such a detrimental s- statement to your sanctification, Because what you are saying is along the highway of my sanctification that the Spirit of God is coming and working, removing roadblocks, doing work in my life. I'm just going to blow a hole in the road and say, nope, not coming through here, Holy Spirit. Let's just stop. That's just the way it is. That's just the way I am. That's just part of my personality. As if, in the arrogance, as if God doesn't want to change you. God doesn't want to change some things about your personality. As if you have reached some place where, oh, that's just the way it is. Is that what God said? God said, no. No, I'm going to finish the work that I started. I'm going to get these weeds and these roots. And for some of you, you're scared to go there. You're like, no, I'm not going to face that. There's some dark things inside of you that, man, you, 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 you don't even know they're there anymore because you've been hiding from them for so long. And so finally, let's look at, okay, what are the marks of those who are maturing? Number one, the maturing are aware and sensitive to the cues and the needs of others, okay? Now, we all know that's good. Now, we all would say, yes, that's, that's something that's good. We should all do that. We should all be that. And what can happen, though, is that a lot of you can hear, okay, what I need to do is now go be everyone's Messiah. I'm going to go meet everybody's needs. I'm going to make sure everybody's happy and taken care of. Whatever situation I enter, I'm going to be that person that just cares about and loves everybody. Yeah, great. That's great. That's not bad. But this is where it gets so messy. It's because, no, you're not anyone's Messiah. And that's not a mark of maturing where you can just look really good and look like the friendly, happy person. Those people aren't mature. Just know how to put on a good show. It's what I did for years. But those, and, and, and even in a very practical sense, those who are maturing are not just lost in their own little world, doing their own thing. They're aware and sensitive when they're in a conversation with someone. They're like, huh, maybe this person doesn't want to hear me talk about this. Maybe I need to stop talking. Maybe they need to go. And they're just sensitive to what's going on. Wow, that person looks like maybe they're hurting. And they're not just lost in their own little world thinking about whatever in la-la land. Does that make sense? It's not very complicated, right? But it's also not this thing of like, okay, I'm going to go around making sure everybody's happy with me. And everybody's needs are taken care of. And I'm going to be the Savior and I'm going to be the Messiah. No. Those who are maturing are aware and sensitive to the cues and the needs of others around them. Next, the maturing are aware of their own inadequacies and weaknesses. They know they have holes. 
And once again, we all know that's true. None of us are in here saying, I got it all together. I hope not. We all know, oh yeah, I've got areas of growth. Yeah, I've got areas of weakness. What happens though is when they show themselves, we don't want to own it. When it gets to actually specifying, what am I actually weak in? Where do I actually fall short? What do I actually struggle with? When we get to like the specifics, all of a sudden nobody wants to talk. Right? And so those who are maturing aren't just like in this vague like, yeah, I've got work. I've got, God's got to work on me, man. I've got weaknesses. No, but they know. No, I struggle in this area. I'm weak in this area. I need support in this area. I need people to come around me. Those who are maturing are not superheroes. They don't look like the mature ones. They look like the broken ones. That's why I said at the beginning, I hope God just breaks us. Not, and, and, and when I say brokenness, I don't just mean, you know, when, if, if you're thinking just someone who's sad all the time, that's not at all what I'm saying, but someone who knows, man, I'm not a hero. It's not about me being awesome. And maybe I'm just talking to myself because that's really what I've struggled with all my life. It's just, I want to be someone. I want to be the best. I want to be awesome. I want to be the savior of the world. And I'm really not. I'm really not. Those who are maturing are aware of their own inadequacies and weaknesses. And next, right along with that, those who are maturing take responsibility for themselves. They own it. For so long, I didn't know how to do that. That I would hear preaching and I'd say, yep, that's good. Okay, I gotta live it. And I'm gonna go do it now. Without recognizing that, whoa, Hunter, the Spirit of God has to build that in you. You can't just go produce all this and make this happen and, 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 and be good all of a sudden. And that's really, really humbling to say, no, I can't get there. I really hate where I am right now. I really hate that I, that I don't have it together, that I fall in this area, that I fall short in this area. But this is where I am, and God is, making, and God is building in me. Man, that is such a humbling posture that I don't, I don't really hear people say, because either it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just woe is me. Or it's like, no, nah, there's just no belief that, okay, yes, I'm broken, but God is doing something. My faith is in him, not in myself having it together. They don't play the blame game. They don't play the victim game. They just own it. Okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. I failed. I need to own up to that. I'm weak in this area, and that showed itself. I struggle with this. I need to own that. I need to go apologize, and I need to ask forgiveness. And that's, that's where it gets real. That's where maturity shows itself in those people, because that sucks. That's really hard to do, and that's what we're called to. Next. The maturing are not consumed with image and how they are perceived. Now, now it's not that they have this, oh, that feels really nice, that fan. It's not that they have this, like, aura about them where they're like, oh, I just don't care what anybody thinks of me. I just don't care what they say. And they're just kind of like in their own little world, you know, cutting themselves off for everything, you know, and saying, oh, I just don't care how I look and how I'm perceived. Not caught up in that. No, no. Those who are maturing are aware of how they come off, of how they're perceived but they're not consumed by it. They're not, they're not engaged in the battle of trying to manage everybody's view of them, manage everybody's perspective of them, trying to make sure they look a certain way, trying to make sure they give off this vibe and they give off this identity of like, that's who I am. No, they just own it. This is who I am, okay? And they're not, they're not, they're not afraid and, and trying to make sure everybody's happy with them. Those who are maturing are not consumed with the image and how they are perceived. Next. This is a huge one. The maturing are not motivated by fear. And I'm going to tell you, you are, just look at the person next to you and just say, you are motivated by fear more than you realize. Nobody did it? 
It's so true. You are. I am. We don't realize how much fear is ingrained in who we are. I can look back in my life again and again and again and see examples of like, wow, I didn't realize that my whole plan was like built on fear of like what would happen if or what they would think if or, you know, I'm going to look like this or I'm going to think I don't want to be that. I, I'm afraid of, you know, feeling like that. So I'm not going to go there. That's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to be awkward. So how can I navigate my life around these situations and scenarios? Do you hear what I'm saying? Am I the only one that does this? Got to keep my life comfortable, you know? Got to kind of keep this like facade of peace and happiness going. Those who are maturing are not motivated by fear. They, they, they call it out by the Spirit of God and say, wait, hold up. This is fear right now that's motivating me. This is fear right now that's talking in my mind. That's trying to keep myself safe and secure. That's trying to like, you know, make myself comfortable and make everything easy. No. What has God called me to? I'm going to be motivated, motivated by His Spirit in this. Next, the maturing ask themselves why questions. And this is a big one as well. Man, these last three. And, and this can become dangerous, and I, I've seen it in my life because it becomes morbid introspection where I'm always looking at myself and just seeing my faults all the time and always just wrapped up in how, you know, broken I am and all that. So that's not healthy. That's not where I want to go with this. But those who are maturing, they don't just, they don't just move on from things so quickly in the sense that, okay, wow, I messed up there. Oh, well, I'll get it next time. I seem to be addicted to this. I guess I'll try harder. Like, no, no, no. The maturing stop and ask themselves, what, why did I get angry? What, what, what motivated that anger? Where did that come from? Why does this pattern keep showing itself in my life? Why am I annoyed with this person? Are they really that annoying? Or am I just, you know, is there something wrong with maybe me here? They go deeper. They say, no, no, no. What's at the root of this stuff? Why? And they don't just have this self-therapy session. But they go to God and they say, Lord, would you reveal, like the psalmist said, like David, right? Search me, oh God. Know me. Like, 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 get in here. Get in my heart. Find out what's in there. Search every room. Know me. Try my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What does that sound like? That sounds like distinguishing good and evil and really calling upon God to help you. Because remember, this is nothing we're mastered in. It's those who through practice through experience of failing again and again and owning their mistakes and then looking and allowing God to show them, okay, here's what went wrong here. Here's what happened. You were motivated by this. Here's what happened. You were valuing this instead of me and my kingdom. Those who are maturing ask themselves why questions. One of the most helpful things. To not just leave things, oh, I don't want to go there. That, that, that's not possible. That can't, that, I can't be that bad. Have you, have, you ever asked, have you ever said that to yourself? I can't be that bad. You know what I'm saying? That's a really scary statement because it means you probably are. You probably are that bad. Thank God for His grace. And that last but not least, oh, the maturing do the hard thing. They do the hard thing. And you know who taught me this better than anyone? My dad. Oh, so frustrating. What's the hardest thing in this situation? Okay, that's probably what we should do. Oh, it's exhausting. Right? And usually, I don't know, if, but, but let's be honest. Usually, in a situation, the best thing to do sometimes is the hardest thing. We don't want to say that. We don't want to own that because it really hurts and it's really uncomfortable, right? But the maturing are not those who just go out and look really spiritual and look really mature. You know? They're all flashy. 
I'm not saying those people aren't mature. I want, no, not at all. But the maturing are willing, man, this is going to be misunderstood by a lot of people. Man, like, this is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. This is going to make things awkward if I bring this up, if I really go for this. But is God calling you to it? What is God calling you to? Do the hard thing. Spirit, what, God, what is going to glorify you most in this situation? What is going to bring you the most glory and display you most in this situation? Okay, it happens to be the hardest thing. Wonderful. Okay, I'm going to trust your spirit, though, to do that. Because this, this is the stuff. That, this is life as a Christian church. This is life as a Christian. We get in the mess, we get in the nitty-gritty, and we say, okay, God, you're with me. Help me. What does it look like to believe you in this situation? What does it look like to walk in your spirit in this situation? What does it look like to go up and face this awkward situation with this person, to deal with this conflict instead of just run all the time? Instead of, you know, I'm not in control and hold all of these things and to do the hard thing to say, Spirit of God, I'm going to walk in what you're calling me to. So I don't know, I hope those are just some helpful thoughts uh, when we're thinking about this idea of, man, what is God desiring to do in us? What does it look like to take that next step of maturity? And in all of this, the goal is not to just be mature believers so we can like have some sense of superiority and be like, okay, I am mature. I have matured. I am maturing. We're good now, right? No, the goal is to just love and know God and pursue his glory with everything, and for that to be what we value most, for that to be what we pursue, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to count everything as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus. That is the goal. And what the Spirit of God is desiring to do is, is to take you there to where, to where that is more and more your daily experience, not just the ideal we set up there, but that God is building us into Christ. What, what, is, what is God doing? What is, what is the goal? Ephesians 4.13, until we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a complete man to the what? The what? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of God. That is what, like, what we're supposed to be like Jesus, as holy and righteous and pure and beautiful as Jesus is. You gotta be kidding me. That's what we're doing here? That's what the Spirit of God is doing? Yes. And not just one, not just you, but all of us together. All of us together in the unity of faith. And none of us, because I know none of us would say, because it doesn't, our own minds know, no, don't say that. You're, don't say that you are mature, right? We all know that. We, none of us in here would say, I'm mature, I'm, you know, I'm kind of there. No, but man, I, I don't know, I get this thinking in my head, especially, man, when I get off the stage, I feel like a beast, you know? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I get this thought in my head that says, yeah, I don't have it all together, I would never say that, but uh, kind of doing all right. Kind of doing all right, you know what I'm saying? And that thinking can penetrate my mind. And what happens is it just lays the bed for everything bad to come. All this pride and, and the, just this, this settled, like, okay, I'm good. Let me just pitch my tent. I'm good to go. Let's get comfortable for a while. I've kind of figured things out to a degree enough. And sure, yeah, I'll grow, but we never define what that growth is. Just kind of like, and we've got to be careful of that, that spirit, that mindset that gets in our minds. There's a, there's a, a, 
a professional cellist. His name uh, played the cello. His name is Pablo Casals. And at 95 years old, most of us will not live to see 95. I think your career as a cellist is, is about over at 95 years old. Someone comes up to him and says, hey, why do you practice six hours a day? 95 years old, and this guy's on his cello six hours a day. And this is his response. Because I think I'm making progress. You've got to be kidding me. What a mindset. What a mindset that is so unmoved by the world, so unmoved by everything around him, so unmoved by society and norms of what is expected of us. The dude is on a mission, man. He's going to shred that cello. What if we had a mindset like that? It just said, no matter what, I just, I want to know him. Kind of looks like Paul a little bit. Man, whatever it takes, whatever I have to suffer, whatever I have to give up, I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to see him glorified, and I just want everyone around me to know it and experience that with me. I'm going to take as many people as I can with me. What a mindset to have. And so I'm going to just give us two words for our takeaway today. Two words and we're done. That God, that we would pray that, that when we're thinking about, okay, who's my one? God, we want you to do something. We want to see you save people. We want to see people baptized and discipled, right? When we're thinking about those things, that we would pray and ask God for one brokenness. Just this sense of, God, I, I, I'm not. I'm not it. I don't have it. I can't do it. And, and I'm finding in my own life, at least this is me, I'm finding I don't really care either. At least not enough. Not enough to get me out of my bed. Not enough to, you know, switch things around and make some changes in my life. God, I need you to change me. God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to do something in my life. I don't know if anyone else is there, but man, if you hear anything, I hope that the Spirit of God just does that in you today. Kiss you to a place of brokenness, man. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves <coughs> those who are contrite in spirit. That we would be broken, that we would have the gift of brokenness. Oh, what a beautiful thing to see a saint who is broken. Not, not you know, lost in depression and discouragement. That's so far from, from pure brokenness that the Spirit of God works in us. And then next, that God, when that place of brokenness, would give us passion. Do we know what that even means anymore? We can be passionate about sports, politics, good night, right? When it comes to knowing Jesus, when it comes to living day to day for Jesus, we prefer much more, you know, the, the comfort of God, the ease, at least I do. Oh, oh, I just, I battle it every day. I'm just, what's easy, what's comfortable? My flesh just craves it. Just give me some ice cream. Just give me something that feels good. Just give me enough so I can just be satisfied. And if I'm not careful, I can live every day just trying to make my performance good enough so I can be happy with myself. Sick. Really sad. And I hope none of you are stuck in that cycle. But there's so much more, a passion, an intensity of the desire that says, No! I really, really want this! I really, really want to know God! I really, really want to love Him, whatever it takes. Oh God, give it to me. And that God would just light a fire in me. Man, I'm just on this stage crying out for that right now. Because I want that church. 
Because, it, because honestly, we can go and live happy lives without that. There's a lot of people living happy lives that don't know how lost they are. And so if you want, you can just keep coming to church. You're loved. But what do you want? Do you want to know the glory of God? Do you want to be a fellow worker, a fellow laborer with God? What is it that you want? That God would give us brokenness and passion. And that, man, whatever God does this year, that we would say, Lord, would you make me ready? God, would you work in my life? Would you bring me to a place of maturity where I'm ready to step out and sacrifice and give him my time and give him myself and say, man, how can I get involved? How can I serve? How can I love just one? How can I reach out to my neighbor, my coworker, my family member? God, what do you want to do? And it really is. It's not just us going out there and trying to change the world. I've said it before. It is the Spirit of God that does the work, but man, that we might be ready and willing vessels to join in whatever he has called us to. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.